Amen. Well, good morning, Living Stones. It is good to be with you today. Um, I, I know all of you have been wondering. Uh, uh, kicked. Oh, I hear I was. Our fourth and fifth graders, I really do love you. I'm not forgetting about you. All right, our kickstart fourth and fifth grade kids, you guys get on out of here. <laughs> what I, Liz, before, I, like, what I was trying to say was I know everybody is anxious to hear about the Green Bay Packers game that's going on right now because they're playing in London for some stupid reason, and so the game is at 9.30 in the morning. I, <laughs> but last time I checked this morning, they're winning 17-3. to But anyways, it, it is... It is good to be um, with all of you today. I'm grateful for just having you come and spending part of your Sunday with us here. And um, I, I also just, before getting into anything this morning, I do just want to tell each of you just a, a huge thank you that uh, those that were here last Sunday and were a part of our prayer walk service that we had um, out here in our community. Um, it really was um, just a, a, a wonderful time. We received a lot of just great feedback about our time that we had walking and just being amongst our, our neighborhood and, and in our community. And, um, and one of the things that I just found just so rewarding and encouraging was I was praying before we left last Sunday is that God would give us eyes to see our neighbors and our neighborhood the way that he sees them, that, that, we, would, that we would be able to, to look and observe and see what is it that God is doing? What is he up to right now in, in our neighborhood? Because it's, it's one thing for us to like, talk about being a church that is, that is for the South Side. It's one thing for us to talk about being, being a church that is for our community. But it's another altogether when we can go and actually see where our neighbors live. We can see where they go to school, where they, where they worship, and, and, and those that we partner with. And, and something happens when we're willing to stop and, and, and step outside our own walls and, and see things from a different perspective. And that was one of the things I really appreciated last week. And so I just want to thank all of you for just being a church that's willing to do something a little bit different on a Sunday morning. That, that Sunday morning doesn't look like it has to just be us here and, and you know, worshiping and receiving a message. It can actually be us going outside our walls and, and praying and being a blessing to our neighbors here. And so I just want to thank you for that. Um, this morning we are going to begin a brand new series going through the book of James. And, and before we get into the text of the book of James, it requires a little bit of, of background knowledge. And one of the things I really enjoy doing a couple times a year is kind of taking a deep dive into a particular book of the Bible. We, we do a lot of topical series, but, but I actually like being able to go into a, a book of the Bible and, and kind of pick it apart. And I know you're going to love this series partly because the book of James is probably one of the most practical books in all of Scripture. It, it, it is a very hands-on uh, hands uh, topics that, that, that deal with practical, everyday life principles and applications, from things like taming your tongue to growing in, in, your, growing in your faith, drawing closer to God, understanding wealth and understanding eternity, how, to show, how not to show favoritism. Like it, it, in, in some ways, I've, I heard somebody refer to the book of James as, as the Proverbs of the New Testament, because it, it really possesses a lot of just everyday wisdom that is helpful in us growing in our own faith walk with God. Now, the James who wrote the, this letter uh, of James, 
it is actually the half-brother of Jesus. I, I remember like when I was growing up, like it blew my mind when I realized that Jesus had half-brothers, like that, that he was not alone. Like you talk about the Virgin Mary, and she, she was that way until Jesus was born. But, that, but Scripture tells us that, there, that Jesus had siblings as, as well. And, and so I, I thought of no better way to kind of start off this series that one of my favorite comedians, his name is Michael Jr., he does a bit about James that I thought would be an appropriate way to start off this series. So I, I want to just play it. It's a short clip for you about James. I like reading the Bible. I was reading the Bible. Found out, uh, found out Jesus had a little brother. Anybody know his name? James. When I read that, I was like, Phew. how much pressure was that? <laughs> Jesus, your big brother? How many times do you have to hear, why come you can't be more like Jesus, James? Because you know, everybody probably thought that James could do the same thing Jesus could do, but he couldn't. He was just James. He wasn't James Christ. <laughs> Remember the wedding banquet? Jesus turned water into wine. Everybody was amazed, but they don't tell you about the next banquet. Jesus left early. They started running out of wine. Everybody looked at James. <laughs> it's like, man, last time this happened, your brother made some wine, dude. You, you just going to stand there with your sandals on? You're not going <laughs> to... Can you make some Kool-Aid or something, man? You're not going to do anything. <sighs> you know James had problems just like any other kid had problems. He tried to follow his big brother around. So everywhere Jesus went, James followed him. That's what little brothers do. So if Jesus went there, so did James. I bet one time James almost drowned. Oh, you just got that joke just now, didn't you? <laughs> Jesus walked on water and then James tried to just me. I'm sure James had problems. He would go to his parents with his problems. And his parents, especially his, his mom, was trying to throw him a bone once in a while. They'd pray over their food. They'd be like, Lord, we just thank you for this food. In James' name. James had problems. He would go to his parents with his problems, and you know what they would say? He'd be like, well, what would Jesus do, you know? <laughs> then they gave him a bracelet. They gave him a bracelet, and um, <laughs> then he started selling those bracelets, you know? <laughs> Made some money selling bracelets. What would be cool is a what would James do bracelet, right? Same initials, different meaning. Completely different meaning. You're driving down the street, you get cut off in traffic. You fuss them out, your pastor gonna be like, yo, you gotta, what would Jesus do bracing on? You're like, uh-uh, that's what would James do. <laughs> I, I thought that'd be a good introduction to the book of the book of James. And now, before, before getting into the, the text, I, I wanted to share with you something that happened uh, in 1999 that actually I, I think is kind of applicable to what James talks about and the overall like thought and message behind 
the book of James, that on, on December 11, 1998, it was almost 24 years ago, that the, the Mars Climate Orbiter was launched into space. And, and the, the Mars Climate Orbiter, it, it would take about 10 months to travel from Earth to Mars. And, and what it was going to do is it was going to collect atmospheric data, um, climate data, uh, surface data, and, and transmit it back to Earth. And so in September of 1999, as the Mars Climate Orbiter was approaching the atmosphere of Mars, um, it, it was preparing for like its like uh, ins orbital insertion maneuver, and as it, as it approached Mars, it actually promptly burned up as soon as it hit the the atmosphere of Mars and was never heard from again. And, and NASA conducted an investigation into what, all right, what happened? Like, how did we lose this this you know multi multi million dollar investment that we had made? And, you know, because there's very precise calculations that are made as far as, like, the speed, distance, angle of entry, all of that for something to enter into the orbit and atmosphere of another planet. And at the conclusion of their investigation, it was discovered that the Mars Climate Orbiter, it burned up when entering the atmosphere of Mars because NASA engineers failed to make a simple conversion of English units to metric units. Like, it was, it was an almost half-billion-dollar mistake because instead of using newtons when talking about force, they were using pounds instead. And, and, I, and I find this fascinating because both units, both newtons and pounds, are talking about the same thing. They're both talking about force. They're just doing so in a different, in a different way. And in talking about it, even though they're talking about the same thing, it can lead to confusion if not properly understood in their right context. So the calculations were correct. They were just talking about it in the wrong way. And I'm going to come back to that in just a moment to show the application in reading James. But as I mentioned, James really is one of the most hands-on, practical books in the Bible. And if you, if you read the, the book of James, and it's a, it's a short book. It'd probably take you about 12, 15 minutes to read through the entire book of James. It can actually have a very different feel to it than reading like some of Paul's epistles, specifically like Romans, where if, if you read Paul, one of the things that Paul emphasizes and talks about over and over again is that it is, it is our faith and our faith alone that justifies us and makes us right with God. But as you read through the book of James, it can appear that some of what James has to say contradicts what Paul has to say, because James puts a heavy emphasis on our works, on, on our actions, as well. And, and it is this perceived discrepancy that reminds me of the Mars Climate Orbiter, because they're both talking about the same thing. They're just talking about the same thing in different ways. And, and this is something we're going to unpack and explore more as we get into this series about how does, our, how does our faith and our works, our faith and our actions, how do they operate together? In 1547, theologian John Calvin had something to say about this uh, apparent controversy between faith and works, where he said, it is therefore faith alone which justifies, and yet the faith that justifies is not alone. And I think it's a very profound statement, that it is our faith alone that justifies us, that makes us right with God, but our faith, but our faith does not stand all by itself either. And like I said, this will become clear as we go through this series unpacking the book of James. So, so let's dive right in. And, and at the time that he wrote this, James was actually the, the leader of the church that was in Jerusalem. 
And, and as he gets into this letter, he begins right off the bat talking about trials and temptations. And, and, and it's one of the things that I think is, is going to be so good for us as a church body to go through this because I, I would, if I asked everybody in this room, I would be willing to bet that most everybody would say they're going through some kind of trial of one kind or another in their life. And every one of us, we deal with temptations on a daily basis. And so when James comes out and he's talking about the different trials and temptations that we face, it's actually going to be an extremely um, helpful thing for us to start talking about. So in James chapter 1, starting in verse 1, he starts off by saying, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. All right, so, so I mean, right, right away we, we learn that James is actually writing to Jewish believers. He says, I'm, I'm writing to the 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel that are scattered among the nations. So his audience is Jewish believers that are living throughout the known world at the time. And then he jumps right in with, with both feet in verse 2. Like, he, it, it's a very short, hey, welcome, greetings, glad, glad to talk with you. We're going to get right into it. And I would be willing to bet that what... What James talks about in verse 2 is something that 99% of us are not doing right now that James tells us that we ought to do. And in verse 2 he says, I want you to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. How about that for jumping in right away? <laughs> like, not a, hey, how are you? I've heard great things. No. Like, all right, when you're facing trials of many kinds, I want you to consider it pure joy. Not, not just, I don't want you just to be joyful in your trials. I want you to consider it pure joy when you are going through difficulties in your life. And, and I don't know about you, but like when I'm walking through trials and when I'm walking through difficult times in my life, things that are, are testing me, things that are, are stretching me, things that are difficult and uncomfortable and, and hard, I don't often, often consider it a joyful thing to be going through such times. But, but there's a reason that James tells us to do that. There's a reason that James says, hey, consider it pure joy when you're going through trials of, of many kinds. And, and I think of it like this. As parents, we would love to be able to protect our kids from all the different, the, the garbage that goes on in this world. Like we, we wish that we could, we could just kind of keep our kids in a bubble and not have them be exposed to the, to the difficult things of life. But if we don't let them face the trials, if we don't let them learn about how to deal with a bully, if we, if we don't let our kids wrestle with, all right, I want this thing now, but I need to work for it. I need to save up for it. I don't just get to buy it the second I want it. If we, if we, if we don't let them like, wrestle and understand the idea, all right, if you don't study, you can, you'll probably get a bad grade. Like We're, we're actually setting them up to fail if we're not letting them experience the difficulties of life. We have to let them face those things because we know as, as adults, we know as parents that they are opportunities for growth. They're opportunities for growth. Like I, I want my kids to learn how to deal with the trials and difficulties of life because I want them to, to grow up, to one day move out, to pay their own bills. Thank you, Jesus. Like, I, I mean, that, that's, that, that's what we want our kids to be able to do. And so while we may not like the trials that we face and go through, James says that in the middle of these trials, we can consider it pure joy because God has something bigger in mind than just the, the thing that we're walking through in this very moment. 
And so I, I have four things I want us to write down as, as it relates to trials. You can, you can follow along on, on our LSC app. You can write it on the back of your bulletin. But four things that I think James teaches us and talks to us about the trials that we face in our life. And so the very first thing I want to share with you is this, is that we need to recognize when dealing with trials and walking through trials and difficulties in our life, we need to recognize what's really going on. Recognize what's really going on. Now, if, if you remember back when you were in school, or we, we have some like students in the room who are, who are in school right now, everybody that's in school, like we have tests that we face. We, we have tests that we have to take because the, taking those tests actually reveals something about us. It reveals whether or not we, we've grown in a, in a certain subject area, whether we've learned the things we need to learn, whether we can move on to the next, uh, the next grade level or we can move on to the next uh, section of the subject that we're learning about. And as we walk and as we journey with God, God's desire is always for us to grow. Are we growing? Are we becoming more like Jesus. And, and it's one of the things, like, when you think about, like, the I-steps, when, when, our, when our kids take standardized tests, they don't get a grade in taking those standardized tests. What, what those tests do is they kind of break down different skill areas that the kids are being tested on, and it can illuminate, all right, this is an area that, that your child needs to work on. This is an area where, where, where they're maybe having some struggles and some difficulties. And the trials that we walk through and face are similar because when we walk through a difficult time, when we walk through trials and tests in our lives, it can illuminate growth areas in our lives and our own walk with God. There's, there's, a, there's a trial I'm walking through right now that over and over again, it, it is revealing my need to grow in patience and in trusting God about something that I don't have any control about. And it's a trial I'm, I'm having to walk through because it, it's, it's illuminated. All right, Pat, you need to trust me. Take a step, Pat, you need to trust me. Take another step, Pat, you need to trust me. And I mentioned that when, when we go through and are walking through a trial of some kind, we have to recognize, all right, what is it that's really going on? A, a trial is not God punishing you. A trial is not God punishing you. It's something that God allows in your life that in the end will actually grow and make us better if we allow it to. If we, if we allow it to do. And, and the next verse in James 1 explains this, where he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It produces perseverance. The, the trials that we face, the trials that we walk through in our life, are going to produce perseverance in our life. It's the same thing with our kids. If we, like I mentioned before, if we shield our kids from everything, they're going to be fragile creatures that can't handle anything. It's the same idea, like when you, when you physically work out, you're lifting weights or you're running or you're doing something like that, you, you get small micro tears in your muscles that, that as, they, as they repair themselves, it actually builds muscle mass and, and makes you stronger, that, that the difficult times, as you, if you push through them, actually makes you stronger on the other end. And so while we rarely enjoy the trials that we face and walk through, James says that we can consider it pure joy when we walk through them because the end result is growth. The end result is strength. The end result is us getting better, getting stronger, becoming more 
like Jesus. But there's a big but. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still a fifth grader at heart. There, 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 there. Point number two. <laughs> but we need to cooperate. We need to cooperate with God in his growth process. We cooperate with God's growth process. That, that it's not something that just happens on our own. In J, the next verse in James 1.4, he says, let perseverance finish its work. All right, so, so the trials you go through are going to produce perseverance, but if you let perseverance finish its work, so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I, and I love that phrase that, that James says here in verse 4. He says, let perseverance finish its work. Because all too often what we end up doing is we end up short-circuiting the work that God is wanting to do and the growth process that he's wanting to do and, and have happen in our lives. Like we, we don't like pain. We don't like discomfort. And so we often will try to do anything that's in our power to avoid anything that causes pain or discomfort. But it's those very things that God uses to bring about maturity that makes us complete, not lacking anything. Like We have an ingrained fight-or-flight response. And so when we come up against something that's hard, when we come up against something that's difficult, sometimes we'll either fight against it and we'll try to buck against whatever it is that, that's, that is difficult, that is uncomfortable, or we'll flee. We'll run, we'll run away from it. And often, we try to run away from the very school of character that God is trying to enroll us in. And it's actually a gift for us. I mean, shoot, th think about your family for a moment. Like, the family is the greatest school of character you're ever going to have. Like, if you can learn to live with them folks, like, you, you can learn to survive in, in this life, Right? I mean, you, you learn things in a family that you're not going to learn anywhere else. <laughs> things like patience and, and grace and understanding and forgiveness. But if we fight against that or we flee from it, are we actually growing? Is God actually doing, are we letting him do that work that's in there? And there's a character that, that we can learn in the middle of the very thing that we pray that God would get us out of. But God's trying to develop something inside of us because he's a good dad. He's, he's a good father. He, he's going to allow trials in our lives whether we like it or not because he knows it's for our good. And so instead of fighting against him, instead of trying to flee and run away from it, what would happen if we actually cooperate with God and what it is that he is trying to teach us in these moments through these trials and through these difficult times? Like he, <laughs> He's going to make us get up in the morning and go to school and study. Like, I, How many of you all have kids? Like, They don't like to do those things on their own. Sometimes they need a, a, a parent that's going to push them along because, because on our own... We don't want to do those things. Thank God we have a good dad. We have a good father who's going to make us get up in the morning, who's going to walk through those trials with us. Like there, there's a pathway for us into becoming more like Jesus. Hey, we've all heard that phrase before, no pain, 
no gain. And, and the Bible talks about that throughout. There's actually a lot of passages in Scripture that talk about the value of suffering. Like it sounds almost contradictory. Like the, the, these aren't like the, the big amen moments when you read those passages. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, he says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Glory in our sufferings. Like good things can come out of the desperate situations that we end up finding ourselves in if we're willing to partner with God in the process. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says almost the same thing. He says, in all, of, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed, that we, that we need to partner, we need to cooperate in the process of what it is that God's wanting us to do. The trials and the difficulties that we face. And I, I would be willing to say that often the best things in our life actually can come out of the darkest moments in our life. If we participate in the process. The, the third thing I, I think that James teaches us about trials in chapter 1 is that when we're going through trials that we need to make sure that we just ask God for help. A ask God for help. Now, now this might seem very like, okay, you got it, you know, let's move on to the next point. But it boggles my mind how often it is for me, how long it takes me to learn this exact point. That I'll try everything else before finally going to God and asking Him for help in that moment. In verse 5, James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. All right, if, if you're lacking wisdom on how to walk through that trial and how to walk through that difficulty that you're in, ask God. He says, He's going to give it generously. He's, he's not mean, He's not cruel. He doesn't enjoy watching His children suffer, but He wants us to ask for help. And, and, and again, drawing back to that analogy I was sharing about the difficult times that, that our children face. Like, we can't save our kids from every difficult thing they're going to go through. But we can help them as they walk through it. We can't shield them. We can't remove them from everything that's hard and difficult in those trials. But we can walk with them through it. Like, when my kids are dealing with, with an issue with friends, I'm not going to isolate them. I'm not going to remove them from everybody that's, that's causing them pain or discomfort. But I'm going to walk through it with them. I'm going to talk with them. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to remind them about who God says they are. I'm going to offer wisdom and advice from when I was in their shoes. And if we go to God and we ask Him for help, He's going to do the same thing. And often we ask for the trial to end when God's heart is, no, no, I'm not going to remove you from it, but I'm going to walk with you through it. The trials and the difficulties that we face. And it seems so simple, yet it's, it, I'm just speaking for myself, how difficult I find it to say, all right, God, I need your help. I don't know what to do. Instead of trying to just bumble my way through this, 
God, I, I, I need your help because I, I don't know. That's the place that God wants us to be. And the final thing about trials that I think James is talking about here in chapter 1 is that through it all, keeping a good attitude. This is probably one of the most important reminders that James gives as we walk through trials and difficulties is keeping a good attitude through it all. In verses 6 and 7, he says, when you ask, when you're asking God for that wisdom, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Like James reminds us that he, he reminds us that God is with us, that He's for us, He's not abandoned us, and that we can trust and believe and have faith in the middle of the trial and in the middle of the difficulty that we're in. He says that the, the one who doubts, the, the one who says, all right, well, God's probably not going to help me out anyways. The one who, who, who deals with that negative, that bad attitude, they're going to be tossed and they're going to be blown around. But our thoughts, our attitude are kind of like an anchor in the storms that we're in. Like, yeah, we may get wet in the storm. We may get battered a bit. We may take on a little bit of water. But we're not going to crash into the rocks and sink if our attitude and our trust remain strong and our anchor is in Him. A few verses later, James says this about those who are walking through trials in verse 12. He says, blessed if I asked you in the room, everybody in this room, we want to be blessed. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Like if, if you are walking through a trial and you make it through, James says, you are blessed. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. My, my son, Josiah, he, he's been taking a, a taekwondo class for some time now, and he's, he's been really excited about it. He's been working hard. He's been learning his different forms, developing his techniques, learning new skills that he had never known before. And yesterday, we, we went, and he had his testing for his yellow belt, and he had to stand before the judges and the instructors, and he had to demonstrate all that it was that he's been working on. And he was nervous. Like, he, he was scared he could, he, the, on uh, Friday night. He couldn't sleep well because he, di he didn't know what to expect. But as, as a dad, there's something that's so rewarding about watching your son working through something that's been extremely difficult for them. Something he's had to put a lot of time and a lot of effort into. And even though it was difficult, that he was able to stand the test, that he was able to give his best in that moment. And, and God looks at us that same way. That the trials that we walk through, God hasn't left us, He hasn't abandoned us in them, but on the contrary, He wants us to reach out and to call to Him and have Him walk through them with us. He's not mean. God is not cruel. He said, no, no, I want to walk with you through it because I know there's something good on the other end of it. And, and as, as I stated in the beginning, James is, is talking very practically in this book, and he, and he comes out right off the bat, and he's talking about the different trials that we face, but then, then he kind of switches gears a little bit in chapter one, and he starts talking about temptations then as well. That's what he spends most of this first chapter talking about, the trials that we face, and then temptations. Now, temptations are very different than trials. Temptations don't come from God, and, and the best analogy I can kind of give is, is like a, a lure in a fishing pond in a way. Like it's just kind of dangling there in front of us. It might look good, but it's got a hook in it. 
we're going to get ourselves caught if we're not careful. And our, and our enemy, like he's going to provide ample opportunities for us for temptations to come forth and to lure us away from God because that's what temptations do. Temptations end up taking us further away from God. And so there's three things that James teaches about temptations in chapter 1. The first one is that we need to recognize the source of temptation. Recognizing the source of some temptation. Like, and, and I guess let me say this. We've probably all heard the, fa- the phrase like, oh, the devil made me do it. Like, all right, he didn't make you do it. He, he may have provided an opportunity for you. He may have made it look really good, but he didn't make you take the bite. Like, it's the same thing. Like, Satan tempted Jesus when he was fasting before entering into, into his ministry. Like, there were temptations that were there, but he couldn't cause Jesus to, to bite, to bite on that lure. James 1.13, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone else. Now, now let, let me notice here. He doesn't say if we're tempted. He says when we're tempted. It, it's not something that, that maybe we're going to experience. No, no, he says, no, temptation is something that will always be present in your life. It will always be there when you are tempted. And James explicitly says this, sir, there is no confusion at all. He says, God is not the one who tempts anybody. God is not the one that tempts anyone. He, he's not some, some sadistic being that, all right, he, he's dangling this temptation in front of you, and then when you bite at it, then you're punished for it. That, that's, not, that's not who he is at all. That's not his character. He's a good God. He's a good father. He's not the one that tempts us. That's from our enemy. And the, and the second thing about temptation that I think is really clear for us is that we need to understand the process of temptation. And James kind of unpacks this in, in the next couple of verses here. That there is, there is a process of temptation. And, and the better we understand this process of temptation, the, the, the more likely we're going to be to be able to stand up against those temptations. In verse 14 and 15 he says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Now, at this point, they, they haven't sinned yet. He said, it looks good. I'm being enticed. There's something attractive. There's something that's drawing my attention. But then he says, then, then, all right, not, not, only, not only are you dragged away with, with evil desire and you're enticed, but he says, then after the desire has conceived, after you take the bait, after you bite the lure, choose the metaphor, he says, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. The Bible tells us that we should not be unaware of, of the devil's schemes. And that there is a process by which we are tempted. That's what James is kind of laying out here. And so these aren't in your notes, but you can, you can write them down. That there's, there's kind of like five stages I see that James talks about temptation. The first stage is temptation itself. And, and let me say this. Temptation doesn't mean that you're far from God. It's not something that you can get away from. Jesus himself was tempted by God. So, so t- temptation in and of itself is not a sin. It, in and of itself, it is not bad. But that's kind of the first step. All right, there's this temptation. There's this lure that is there. The next stage is kind of entertaining. I'm entertaining the thought. You can call it fantasy, whatever you like. All right, I'm thinking about that thing. What would my life be like if I went there? 
if I drank that, if I smoked that, if I slept with that? Like, what, what is the thing that I'm thinking about and I'm contemplating? Like, not only is the temptation there, but then, then it's occupying space in my head. And I'm starting to think about it. The, the next stage is, is actually starting to move towards sin. James says that we're kind of being dragged away, that we start mo- making moves in that direction. Or not only am I thinking about it, but all right, now I'm taking a step over there. Man, the, the, the grass sure looks greener over there, doesn't it? I, I heard someone say once that the grass may look greener, but it means that the water bill is higher over on that side too. Like, th- there, there's a reason for it. There's a cost that comes with it. So we're tempted, we're thinking about it, we're being enticed by it. We're maybe making moves towards it. The next stage is the process of the act of sin itself. This is is where we actually take the bite. And and, and let me tell you something as we talk through this. And and I know this can be discouraging because it's something that we've all done. Every one of us, no matter how long we've walked with God, we've gone down this road. We've walked through this process of temptation where where we've been tempted, we've thought about it, we start walking in that direction, and then we take the bite. Like, we, we've, we've all done it. But the good news is, and, and I, I, I think it's in Proverbs 24, where the writer of Proverbs says that, that a righteous man falls seven times. But then he rises again. He gets back up. And so just because maybe you, you've fallen into temptation, maybe you've fallen into sin of one kind or another, that's not the end of the story. It's not like, all right, God is just like, totally, you know, oh, you've blown it. He's just disgusted with you. You know, get out of my house. You know, like, that, that's not how Jesus is. That's not how God is at all. In fact, those that are stuck in temptation, those that are stuck in sin, those are the ones that Jesus went after. Those are the ones that Jesus spent time with. Those are the ones that Jesus ministered to and ate dinner with. He didn't say, all right, clean yourself up and fix yourself up and then come in my presence. No, he said, no, 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 in in the middle of your temptation, in the middle of your sin, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to sit with you in the middle of it. Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus was tempted just like all of us. Only he didn't sin. Jesus experienced the same temptations that we have. And so you, you na- name the temptation. Name that thing that feels like that fishing lure that's dangling in front of you. Jesus experienced it. He walked through that same exact thing. Like he knows what it's like to deal with temptation. And he has grace and compassion on those that deal with sin issues because he's been there. He's known what it's like. But the final stage of temptation isn't just the sin in and of itself. The final stage of temptation is death. That sin, when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. Sin never leads anywhere good. The the way of sin always leads to death. Whether it's spiritual death, relational death, physical death, financial death. Like it will always lead to death. But thank God, Jesus has given us victory over sin. That he hasn't just left us there in it. And and the final thing that that James talks about in in dealing with temptations is that we need to learn how to overcome temptation. He doesn't just say, all right, hey, you know what? Temptation's a fact. You're just going to have to 
Buckle down. Be strong. No, that's not what he says. In verse 16 and 17, he says, Don't be deceived, dear, my dear brothers and sisters, that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Like when we're in the middle of our temptation, realize that God is not far off, but that every good and perfect gift actually comes from God. And some of those gifts that God gives is a way out of sin and temptation that we find ourselves in. Like Jesus promises that he's not going to we're not going to be he's not going to allow us to be tempted more than we can bear. He promised like when we're dealing with temptation one kind or another that he will provide a, a method of escape, a way out. Let me show you that in scripture in 1 Corinthians 10:13 he says, "No temptation has overcome you." except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That He, he provides us ways that, that we don't have to live life ensnared in that temptation, but that we can find ways out of it. And there's just a, a three short things here, and then I'm going to be done, that I want to share with you about about how do we overcome temptation in our life. The first one I would say is avoid things that we know are temptations for us. We know ourselves pretty well, don't we? We know the things that are, that are triggers for us. And so let's avoid the things that cause us to be tempted. If, if, if alcoholism is, is, a, is an issue in your life, going to the bar every Friday night is probably not a wise idea. If you're dealing with, with, with lust and sexual sin of one kind or another, watching racy movies is probably not a great idea. Avoid things that we know are temptations for us. We, we can counter the temptations that we have with God's Word. That's what Jesus did. That when, when Jesus faced temptations, when he, when he was tempted in the wilderness, he countered it by what the Word of God actually had to say. And so we can learn the Word of God. We can find those things to fight back against those temptations. And third way is for us to develop good relationships. And, and I think this is one of the most key things right here when it comes to dealing with temptations in our life. That when we have people in our lives that are going to love us regardless of what we're walking through, that we have people in our lives that are going to be there, that we, can, that we can talk to, that are not going to judge us when we say, man, I am really struggling with this right now. This has been really, really difficult for me. I've, I've felt that pull. I've felt that drive. I've, I've been fantasizing about that thing. I'm starting to take steps in that direction. That when we have somebody that we can call, when we have someone that we can reach out to and say, man, this is where I'm at. This is what's going on in my life. Like We, we all need someone that we can trust and talk to about the sin and temptation in our life where we can take that mask off and just be totally real and be totally vulnerable with someone else. It's one of the biggest ways to overcome temptation. And so I want to close with, with a final thought here this morning. And it's in James chapter 1, verse 18. And James, he, he spent a, a, a large section talking about the trials that we face, the difficulties that we have in our life, the temptations that we, that we all have, the, those pulls towards the things that lead us away from God. 
And in verse 18, he says, he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. He's talking about Jesus here. Like God, recognizing the trials that we're going to face, recognizing the temptations that we're going to face in our lives. Said he gave us his true word. He gave Jesus to us. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. And and verse 18 is such good news for, for us in this room as we walk through and deal with trials and temptations in our life. Because as, as James has been talking about this, as he's been talking about the trials that will come and the temptations that we will face, God saw us. He saw our, our frail humanity. He saw the trials and the temptations that we were going to deal with, and he gave us Jesus. He gave us Jesus. That, that through Jesus, we've been made right with God, that we've been made his prized possession. That we, that we don't face the trials of our life and the difficulties of our life by ourselves. No, we have Jesus with us. We, we don't face the temptations in our life on our own, but we have Jesus along there with us. We don't have to try to fight it alone. We have Jesus. We have the Son of God who definitely dealt with trials in his life. <laughs> Jesus dealt with some trials. He dealt with some temptations in his life. And James is saying, all right, through it all, Jesus is there to walk with it through or to walk through it with you. You are not alone. You're not by yourself. You don't have to try to make your way and figure it all out on your own. but we have the Son of God right beside us. If we'll take his hand, if we'll reach out to him, if we'll talk to him. And, and I, know, I know that there's a lot of people in this room that are walking through some very difficult things, walking through some very difficult trials in your life. I, I know there's people in this room that are dealing with some very, very strong temptations in your life. And I want you to know that you're not alone. You're not by yourself. Not only is Jesus there with you, you have a church family that's there with you too. You have a church family that loves you and cares for you unconditionally. And I want you to know that you don't have to try to deal with it on your own. The trials and the difficulties of your life, the temptations that you're dealing with, you don't have to do it alone. We have God, and, I, and I'm so grateful for that. We also have one another, too, to bear one another's burdens, to walk alongside. And if there's something that you are struggling with, if there's something you're, you're wrestling with, something you just need someone maybe to hold, your, hold you accountable, maybe just somebody just say, hey, I just need someone to pray, like, we are here for you. That, that is why we are a church body. That's why we gather together. That's why we're here. We need one another. I need you, and you need me. And so I want to encourage you this morning. I'm going to pray in just a second, but I want to encourage you that if you're walking through something, don't do it alone. Reach out. It can be here this morning. It can be up front. There's going to be people praying. It, it could be, you know, send an email later. In the day, make a phone call. Whatever it is, don't continue to walk it alone. The trials and temptations that James is talking about, we share them together. So if you would, would you bow your heads and let me pray for us?
Lord, I, I, I am so incredibly grateful for you and for your amazing grace, your amazing love, Lord, that, that we get to experience, Lord. I, I, and, and James just talking so real to us that, that there is no escaping the trials in our life, Lord. There, there is no escaping the temptations that we have, but we don't have to do it alone, Lord, that we have you. We have, we have an advocate in Jesus, Lord. We, Jesus, you were the one that you experienced trials just as we do. You experienced temptations just as we do that we don't worship a, a God, we don't worship a Savior who's far off, who can't sympathize with us, but we, we worship a Savior who, who has stood in our shoes, who knows what it's like. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us as a church body, as a church family, Lord, Lord that as we are walking through those trials and temptations, Lord, that you would help us as we're doing it to reach out to you, to reach out to one another, Lord, that you would help sustain us in the process of it. And Lord, through it all, God, we look to you, the author, the finisher of our faith. We look to you, and we trust that you not only are there, but God, that you are working things out in us. Lord, you are, you are shaping us and molding us to become the men and women of God that you've called us to be. And God, in through it all, Lord, we want to partner and cooperate in the process with you. Lord, we thank you, God, so much for who you are. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.